The Pure Jamie Milne Podcast. Where we have a dream to create a community full of happy, healthy, and knowledgeable people who create global positive change through sharing their journey. Tune in, saddle up, and listen in. Be inspired. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Pure Jamie Milne Podcast and JMT TV. I am very excited, honoured, privileged, and uh, <laughs> rolling the eyeballs. I haven't even started your run. I'm just getting my uh, formalities out of the way. Even my dog's down here. She's fucking like rolled over like, oh, here we go. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I am I am so, so pumped to share uh, today's podcast with Vic. Vic is from the the dr- drunk mummy sober mummy. Yeah, drunk- that's my blog that I started with the day I gave up drinking. Yep. Yeah, and the uh, the sober awkward podcast, which is with um, your co-host, is that Hamish? Hamish, yeah, yeah, Hamish. And look, Vic's been is, is an advocate, an authority, a messenger, mm-hmm. the mess ender. Aha, that was pretty cool. Messenger for living a sober uh, life, which is really, really cool. You, um, Vic lives in Australia, local to the Sunshine Coast, with husband, three kids and a dog. Yeah, that's about right. But, yeah, did I get that right? Yeah, you got it right. Yeah, well done. Yeah. Well, well, thank I don't you. think there's any more kids. There might be one that hid. <laughs> Well, that he that I haven't found yet. It's probably yeah. around somewhere in a cupboard. <laughs> I was going to say we look quite similar. I, I mean, I could call you mum or something, but it might. Well, that, no, that's, actually, that's not really much of a compliment. But anyway, moving on very quickly. Um, so, massive ad- advocate for sober living, which is the the context and the narrative for today's podcast. I know that you are very, very passionate and and enthusiastic about sharing your journey. And you've been sober for some time now. And I know something that really stood out for me um, as I was scrolling and and, uh, creeping around your blog was that you started documenting. So as soon as you made the decision to give away the grog, you actually started documenting your journey, which has perpetuated out into this really wonderful platform or platforms that you have. Um, so, Vic, and we and we got to share some time together in Byron Bay where I officially yeah. met you and we uh, were part of Message in a Bottle there, which was cool. Yeah. Um, but thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. It's lovely to be here. It's nice to be on other people's podcasts and keep sharing that message. I think some people are probably bored of hearing me now because I blather on so much about sobriety, but hopefully there'll be some new people listening today that haven't heard the story before, so that's all good. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm sure there will be. There's a lot of people in um, uh, my listeners and viewers and certainly in in my community, which we talked about earlier on, that are... sort of getting caught up in this infectious paradigm shift of sobriety. And even my son, who's 24, he he doesn't mind tipping a couple in. And I don't think he's had too many alcoholic beverages in a while. He's been been on all the zero beers and stuff like that. So there's definitely a bit of a shift. 
But guys, if, if just very quickly, if you do enjoy this podcast and you love listening to, to Vic, she has a live event coming up on the 27th of April and I'm going to do uh, a blatant shout out straight away. It's a ticketed event, 27th of April in Maroochydore. And uh, Vic, you're going to share a little bit more about that a bit later on, hey? Yeah, sure. No worries. I was just going to say, you mentioning your son there and alcohol-free drinks. I don't know whether you saw at the Super Bowl last night, the advert in the middle was a zero, zero beer, um, which is the first time there's been a massive alcohol-free advert in, in such a massive realm like that. So that is huge advancement for the alcohol-free community to have that sort of ad right, right in the center of, you know, the public eye. So that was cool. Wow. Wow. I didn't see that. Yeah. That's yeah. definitely, um, yeah, that's definitely a, a, a different narrative. That's for sure. Vic, just a little bit about yourself. I know it's quite hard. You're a big, big personality and an awesome, awesome individual, but in a bit of an elevator sort of speech now, it could be a hundred floors we're going down or it could be 10, but yeah. just a, a bit of an overview. Who, who, who are you? A little bit about you. And that'd be cool. We'll start there. So I'm a mum of three, as Jamie said, and I had consequences to my drinking for the first time after having my first child. I was always a party girl, a binge drinker, a mid-range drinker, grey area drinker, whatever you want to call it. And I grew up in a family who were massive partiers, never um, on your own drinking, never sad drinking, always frivolous style of of inebriation. So I always wanted to join the party from a very, very young age. My parents were fun. There was not really any trauma. I'm a very, you know, pretty normal person. There was a few things that happened growing up. Um, I lost some friendships and had some heartbreak at school. Just, you know, I realize now that trauma is relative and that everybody's got their little thing that they can draw on after they go to therapy, which I did for a while. Um, and I had a little broken heart when I was about 14 and I started to go a bit off the rails. Um, recreational drug use, loads of drinking, promiscuity throughout my teens and 20s, just because I was a bit of a people pleaser and I wanted people to like me because the situation that arose meant I lost a couple of friends for no reason. It was never explained to me, just a bit of a bullying situation. And from that point on, not only did I want to make friends, I wanted to keep them. And the only way I knew how to do that was to get pissed and be the entertainer. And that's the role that I took on throughout my life, even though it was detrimental to my own health. I never questioned it because I had this reputation of, oh, yeah, Vic, she's a good laugh. We're guaranteed a good night, a few good jokes and some banter. And, you know, that was how I carried myself to everybody that knew me. And I didn't mind, you know what I mean? But it did get me into a, bit, a few rough situations. I mean, I blew my finger off with a firework on the Millennium Night. I was involved in the tsunami. Like I, I had run bars in Thailand and lost my house and all that business. Loads of failed relationships and just it was just a bit messy there, Jamie, for a quite a few years. Wow, Jesus Christ! Yeah, fucking <laughs> hell! Yeah. Losing finger caught in a tsunami. That's a yeah. well, lucky I missed the tsunami by like a couple of days, but I had to come in and like try and find my boyfriend in this disaster zone, and it was just a few years there that were kind of like I don't remember half of it, which is probably a good thing. And the bits that I do remember, it's like ah, a bit painful every time one of those sort of sordid memories pops into my brain. But 
Obviously, all of these things happen for a reason, don't they? And I wouldn't be talking to you today if I had been flower arranging for my entire life. Like, that would, none of this would have happened. So you get the picture. I was just a bit of a party girl. I was a traveler. I was a nomad. I went from one place to the other with a backpack full of emotions and, and luggage, <laughs> emotional luggage, and just took my, my bad behavior from one destination to another until eventually I ended up in Australia and I met my husband and I had my first child. So until that point, my drinking had never, ever had a consequence. Mm. I had always had quite bad hangovers, but I was prepared to deal with them because drinking was who I was. It was never a consideration to go, oh, I'm getting bad hangovers. Maybe I should stop drinking. There was no alarm bells, no red flags, nothing whipping me across the face saying this isn't okay. <laughs> Jesus. That was remarkable. Very, no, very, very positive. I love it that you're laughing at my no, catastrophe. Just, no, no. I'm like, it's just it's funny, bad. though. It is funny, really. If, if I mean, it is like, funny. Like, it's fucked up. Yeah. People are like sitting there listening or viewing this. They'd just be like, what the fuck just happened? Like, what, what was, what the, what, like, put oh, it, ladies and gentlemen. There's a lot of stories. Oh, you have to read my book. My book's out in March. So you'll, you'll hear the ins and outs of every single of those ones and this, uh, every single story in there. I mean, there was a cult in there at one point as well. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, yes. We love yeah. a good cult. Love a good cult. We love story. a good cult. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to your book coming out. I would love, I would actually love to read your book. Well, it is a comedy. So, and that's my message really with everything that I do is that, you know, we can laugh about these things. It doesn't have to be serious sobriety or, or the past. It, it, it can be funny. Like you're laughing and I'm laughing too. Some of the stuff I did was bloody ridiculous. I'll admit to that. But then of course there comes a point where you have to stop laughing and go, actually, how is this impacting my life? And there was a point where I had to self-reflect was when I had my first child and I woke up six weeks after he was born, after going on a cheese and wine evening and promising to moderate and being all la-di-da and then, you know, finding myself at the end of the night with my head in a toilet regurgitating kebab. So I was like, Right. And then the hangover the next day, suddenly there's a baby crying in the room beyond my hangover. And I'm like, what is going on here? I don't feel well enough. I love my child, but I don't feel well enough to get out of bed and take care of him. But of course, alcohol was so ingrained in me for the last 26 years before I had my child that I just presumed I needed to slow down or learn to moderate or drink better, as we call it. And I tried to do that for four years. And every time I went out, my anxiety and guilt and shame and regret about not being able to care for my children properly the next day got worse and worse and worse. And to the point where I would be sitting in a bed every Sunday morning with my finger on my pulse in my neck thinking, am I going to die? And my poor husband had to come in and be like, are you all right? I'm like, well, I'm just hungover, but am I going to die? And he couldn't really understand what was going on with me. And I didn't really understand. But all I knew is that every time I went out, I didn't mean to drink as much as I did. But of course, once one was down the hatch, I was ordering shots. So there was no in between for me. There was no moment of, right, should I do this or should I go home? I always wanted to entertain and keep everybody happy. So therefore, I stayed out for the duration. I was a reliable drinking buddy. (laughs) Oh Jesus Christ! Did you ever get the falafel off the off the the, the toilet seat or the yeah. kebab you spewed up? Like ever get oh. ET oh. skin? 
ET skin, I call it. It looks or elephant leg skin. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. yeah. So, how how did you end up getting sober? So I know you said you had your, your the the pregnancy, um, which you obviously yeah, and then you said it was six weeks later. What what was the actual catalyst? How did how did you do it? How did you get sober? Well, I got stuck for four years after that first child of trying to moderate and falling through the cracks. I didn't feel like my drinking habit was bad enough to deserve intervention or professional support. So therefore, I tried to manage it myself, which was to try not to drink every time I went out. So I tried that and I failed every single time. Then I got pregnant. I had another baby. I had a beautiful window of sobriety for nine months where I was like, oh, there's no anxiety. I can be who I want to be. I can socialize. And it was lovely. But then the second baby came and the mundanity of becoming a mum again with a four-year-old and a baby, it was all a bit too much. And of course, the only way I knew to how to, to reward myself or to relax or to find a piece of the old me, which is why I drank a lot when I became a mum, because I wanted to find a bit of that nomad in me again, because I was bored, you know, being a new mum. You go from, you know, I always say having glitter boobs at Glastonbury to being stuck at home with beige walls and nothing going on. It was kind of depressing. So my way of finding myself was just to go out and get pissed. And then when the baby, the second baby was six weeks old, I did just that. I wanted to let my hair down. And that hangover the next day after that was one step too far. And the anxiety and the guilt and everything about being so ill the next day and having two children in my house it was too much. And I just remember walking into the lounge with my husband and saying, I'm failing at this. I cannot moderate. I, I am failing and I've been failing for four years. I can't do this on my own. I think I need somebody to step in and help me because I can't stop drinking. Even And I'm not saying I was drinking every day. I wasn't. I'm that gray area where I binge drank perhaps even once a week or even once every two weeks, maybe not even that much. It wasn't about the amount. It was about the mental load and it was about how much, how preoccupied I was by it, by alcohol. And I knew that was wrong. I started to understand and self-reflect and go, why am I preoccupied by something that's making me physically and mentally unwell? And I yeah. think that's when I knew like, I can't answer these questions on my own and I need some somebody else to tell me what's going on here. Yeah, yeah. What so what what was <clears throat> what was your if you don't mind me asking what was your support system so how did I know in my initial stages of sobriety I'd been in and out of AA since I was eighteen yeah um, and so that uh, so I've been sober will be four years in September so initially I went to AA for I think maybe like three months max and it sort yeah. of gave me that initial support and then on to some um, professional counselling and things like that in the early stages. For yourself, Vic, what, what sort of support mechanisms did you have in place? I went to the Amazon and did ayahuasca and licked her toads back for a week. It was very good. No, I didn't. I phoned a local. Fuck, I was like, what? <laughs> I met my ego in a jungle. No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I found a local number and I met a lady called Diane who was just an addiction specialist. She was a therapist that lived on the sunny coast. And mm. I phoned her up and said, hi, I'm just a binge drinking mum. I think I've got a bit of a problem, but I'm not really sure. I want to know how to drink better. At that point, I was still thinking that I could weasel my way into drinking culture still. 
But yeah, actually, I didn't. And she just said, see you Monday. And that was that. And I had 12 weeks of therapy where, I mean, it's difficult to explain what goes on in a small room in Rootsidor for 12 weeks. But yeah. what happened was, is that she laid it all out in front of me. And I realized I had a choice about alcohol for the first time. And actually, I realized I had a problem with it. Because yeah. no matter how big or small, whether I was on a dialysis machine or or not, I understood at that point that I sat on this vast spectrum of alcoholism and that I was actually quite comfortable there and I didn't feel any shame about it. And I started to realise that my problem was deserving of some professional sport. Yeah, so good. And that 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 first fundamental step of self-awareness yes. is the gateway to wisdom, self-knowledge, and, and off you go. So being able to admit, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a little fucked. This, yeah. this things, as Russell Brand says, admit you're a bit fucked. You yeah, know, yeah. It's, it's, and that's where I guess that term sober curious comes from. It's you lying in bed. That's why that term is like a big warm hug because it's, it, it encapsulates everybody. Um, cause you're, it's just, it just means you're questioning, you're reconsidering, you're thinking about how yeah. this is impacting your life and the life of others. And that's where that term sits really nicely for me because it means that you are conscious instead of unconscious, basically. Oh, just speaking my language there. That was beautiful. Yeah. The, so like for the, the, for the listener or the viewer that's ha- having that narrative of curiosity, they're sitting there of a morning tossing and turning in the bamboo sheets wondering whether they've got a problem or not problem what what advice could you or what suggestions would you make around the management of and probably even from your own experience would be awesome how did how did you manage your cravings and like triggers for drinking for your drinking i think i'd got to the point with it where i knew that like when I decided to quit, instead of me thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen here? What's it going to be like? I just felt felt such a huge sense of relief. It was mm. like a stone being lifted off my chest when I realized, oh my God, I don't have to drink. I think a lot of people, we get it into our heads because it's so ingrained in our culture and our society that we have to drink at every opportunity, everywhere we go, we have to drink. But in the end, it's, you know, do you want to be a sheep or do you want to be a punk? Like, do you want to go out and be the person that's going along with everybody else and downing shots and being this lunatic and not remember half the night? Or do you want to be the punk who stands up proud and goes, look at me, I'm fucking amazing because I'm doing something that's good for me and, and I've got boundaries now and I'm healthier and, and all of these things. It sounds smug and wank and everything I know, but at the end of the day, that whole culture that you're led down, it's all a load of old bullshit and it's actually doing everybody a really nasty mental breakdown job on you because it's never going to do any good. And we all do it because we think we have to do. And I think that was a huge realization for me. It was like an epiphany. It was like, my God, I can just not drink. Isn't that incredible? And that is a possibility for everyone. And actually that will always be the best decision you will ever make. I've never heard anyone say, oh God, I wish I wasn't sober. It just doesn't happen because the benefits are so are amazing and they far outweigh anything that alcohol gives. I can understand someone who's really shy um, going out and needing to drink because of a, the social aspect of things. And I think for someone like that who's lying in bed and questioning, you've got to ask yourself who you are and who you want to be and 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 almost try and 
be kinder to yourself by going, actually, I'm all right the way I am. And, you know, I can learn to step out of my comfort zone without alcohol, because that's obviously going to be the better route to take is to try everything and get out of that comfort zone without this social toxin that is kind of dumbing us all down. Fuck, the revolution will be televised. The yeah, it will be. It's going to be televised. Yeah, There's the cyber revolution. I mean, that's what it's all about, though. That's why it's getting popular is because people are more aware of their own mental health. We're going yeah. like, what am I doing? We're questioning. What am I doing? What am I doing wrong? Why do I have anxiety? Why do I feel nervous when I go out? And we're just kind of learning to look inwards and go, this isn't working for me anymore. Alcohol is not helping my situation it's actually you know I forget I used to forget every night I'd you know reach that peak two glasses in then it was blackout so what's the point in that you start to realize well what's the point in alcohol it's not doing anybody any any favors at all should gives you horrible venereal disease and itch where you don't want it Uh, yeah (laughs) the seven-year itch the Hong Kong borer yep in there got the t-shirt got the medal got the certificate (laughs) anyway moving on very quickly moving on moving on (laughs) moving on Fucking very swiftly, swiftly. Um, any any tips, tricks for staying sober um, that you have learned? Just like a couple of basics, because again, yeah. um, there's probably a lot of people out there hedging their bets. They got the few toes in the paddock of well, I don't mind tipping in mm-hmm. a schooner or two, and then they've got a few toes in the heaps normal paddock, and they're neither here nor there. What's a couple of like simple little tips and tricks that you could teach us? I think sometimes people think that cravings are about a bolt out of the blue and that they happen when you're in a certain situation. But I think with cravings and going out, you can learn how to control those things. It's not about bolt out of the blue. It's you creating something in your brain that you need and that your brain is wired to want because you've done it for 25 years. And I think people should know that you can rewire that. You know, I've rewired that now. I, I see drinks sometimes and I just think, oh, yeah, I used to want that. I don't want that anymore. I used to want that, but I can see why I wanted that. And I can register it in a way that doesn't give me the need and I can change my emotion about it. And I think Mm. my best advice is if you are creating a craving inside your brain is to just put the fucking kettle on, turn around, you know, put the jug on, craving gone. You've got to sit with these feelings and learn different ways of controlling yourself. You know, if you feel like going out to the pub is going to be triggery for you in early sobriety, you don't go, but you do have to replace that act with something else. So you go for a walk, you go and see a mate. And I think all of these things, it's a very personal journey. I don't know whether I told you, Jamie, but I kept my sobriety secret for 18 months. I'm five years next month, but I was quiet. Yeah. I was quiet about it because I was embarrassed because I thought I was letting everybody down and it felt so private to me. It's the first time I've really done anything privately was because this it was so huge drinking that I thought, God, if I tell anyone, they're never going to speak to me again. They're going to think I'm boring and what a sober wanker and a bit smug and all of those things. But actually that's the opposite. And I think that's what people should know that are listening to this is like, it is not boring it's beautiful and you learn who you are and it's not a it's not a story about giving up drinking it's a story of who you are between that you know underneath that layer of beer and bravado who is that person that lies underneath that and i didn't know i'm not a woo woo person i you know i i never liked the quotes now i'm like oh give me a good quote but i just think <laughs> 
you become kinder to yourself. Like I abandoned my body most weekends in various ways to the bottle, to a line of Coke or to a man, all these different ways that I disrespected myself because I didn't know another way of being. And now sobriety gives me a window of going, right, I can actually evolve and be a different way. And that's my choice. And I didn't realize I had that choice when I was a drinker. And that's what makes the whole thing, especially the longer you go, I'd say give it a year, first of all, to anyone listening, just give it a year. You've drank all these years, give sobriety a go for a year and then see where you end up and see, write a diary and every day of what you're doing, which is exactly what I did. And Mm. that has become my book because this journey is it is a self, it is an inward journey and it can seem a bit um, self-indulgent sometimes, but that self-indulgence leads to everybody around you being happier and, you know, and you being able to talk about it and perhaps help other people along, along the road. Great suggestion. That's a sensational suggestion. I've got one more, one more little question before we find out where we can find you and where, where we can listen to more of your stories and your wisdom and, and um, get some support from you and things like that and some nurturing, which um, which would be cool. Do you ever do you ever have moments? I know myself personally, I've had a couple of little <laughs> when you talk about bolts, I, I wouldn't call them bolts, but like a couple of little yeah. tools, little um, moments where I've missed aspects of yeah. drinking and drugging and things. And I, and I, and I mean this sincerely, there've been just little moments in, in my life recently or over the last four years. Uh, is there, is there any time you, you miss the old Vic, the, the drinking, the partying? And if there is a time that you do miss it, what is it that you miss specifically? You know, I miss the sort of carefree person that was drunk and didn't care, but obviously I was in a blackout at that point. So I, I miss something that didn't exist almost. So it's very confusing, but there is something you miss, but you're not quite sure what it is. I don't know what it is, but my favorite saying in this sort of sober realm is play the tape forward, um, which means in those situations, if I do feel like, oh, especially on holiday when there's cocktails going past, you know, if you're sat on a sunbed, <laughs> your eye line is just everyone around you from 10 a.m. with cocktails going past. Strategic. Yeah, I just like, God, why didn't they? Everyone's just having a good time like, and relaxing. Why can't I do that? But then I just say, it wouldn't be one cocktail for me. It would be two. I'd be like trying to find a bottle of port from the waiter. And then I'd be doing shots with, you know, the staff in the kitchen. Like I, one drink isn't a possibility for me. And I understand that about myself now. So the thought of having one doesn't appeal to me because one leads to two and two leads to another blackout and anxiety and me not being present for my children. So that's me playing the tape forward, just going, look, what is the reality of this situation? The reality is I can't do that anymore. And my life is a billion times better than it was before. And then I'm I'm happy with that as a whole. And I just have to sit with it and run through it in my mind sometimes, just run through those thoughts and sit with them and, and they will pass. They pass very quickly. And the longer you are sober, the less you get of those thoughts, of those kind of wantings. Yeah. Wow. Vic, you are a remarkable and beautiful soul. What a great, like, you truly are just such great insights. And I, I like, I genuinely and sincerely hope that anyone that's listening or watching, it, it, this is, they're, they're picking up what you're putting down because that's just, that's gold. 
like this little podcast and we just package it up, chuck a little fucking bow on it, a bit <laughs> of water from Glastonbury and, yeah. and send and send it not on the not on the boobies, but on the on the gift. And we send that out yeah. because it's just magnificent, mate. And I and I thank you so much for your time. And I know there will be people that will want to listen to you, get your book, come to your live event. Where's the best place to find you? And and how do people get in contact with you? So my um, Instagram is either at drunk mummy, sober mummy or at sober awkward. I have a free um, social network for sober people called Cuppa. It's just cuppa.community. You can go on there. It's totally free to use. It's basically Instagram for sober people. And there's courses on there. There's tea you can buy. You can meet loads of sober people. You can create your own sober events. It's basically a hub for the sober community. So I always got asked a question like, what do I do to get sober? And I never had an answer. And now I can say, you just go to Cuppa. It's all there. The support network, everything you need is on there. Um, and you can contact and make friends with people. It's just amazing. Um, and yeah, and my podcast is Sober Awkward. We are doing this live event in April, which is going to be amazing. It's going to be a live recording of the show with nibbles and alcohol-free drinks. So the link for that is on my uh, Instagram bio if you want to get a ticket for that. Um, I present the show with this amazing guy called Hamish, who is a presenter on ABC Sunshine Coast. And he's given up drinking uh, for the podcast. So he is a normal drinker. We call him the, the normal, no game, Hame, the normal drinker. And uh. he, he is really experiencing the benefits of sobriety, even though he was not a problem drinker. So it's a really fascinating angle and it's opening the funnel for more people and going, look, it doesn't matter if you drink one glass of wine a week or a cider at a barn dance in every March or whatever, you can still reap these benefits. And he's a real, he's an extrovert and he's still going dancing and he does karaoke and he does all these things sober that you wouldn't think you could normally do. So he's brilliant. He's really funny. So yeah, we'll be there on the 27th of April. It's in at the Met in Maroochydore. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Met in Maroochydore, I will definitely be getting a ticket. I would right. love to come along. I'm going to rally a few troops. And Please we'll, do. Um, especially I heard snacks. I heard nibbles. So yeah. I, you know, there's not much I wouldn't do for some snacks. So <laughs> I'll be there. Vic, thank you so much for your time. Thank you are you. an incredible human being. Thank you. Sorry, I've got my glasses on. I look like Morecambe and Wise. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie. The Pure Jamie Milne Podcast. Podcast.